Anyway, take your Bible, please, and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Uh, we're, we're deviating from our verse-by-verse study of uh, Philippians for t- today and for next Sunday. These are special days. So we're in Luke chapter 19, and I want to talk to you this morning about Palm Sunday. I've entitled the sermon today, The Procession of the Palms, which we had, but we get it from here. So let's read uh, Luke 19. I'm going to read a long passage of Scripture, starting at verse number 28, going down to verse number 46. When Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. It came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever set. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Uh, this you shall say to them, because the Lord has need of it. How many of you know that will change someone's mind real quick? If you say with confidence, the Lord needs that, you're going to do it. So those who were sent their way found it just as he had said. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. And they drew their own, threw their own clothes on the colt. And they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The other gospels say the words, Hosanna, Hosanna. Some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city And he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then as he went into the temple, he began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of thieves. Father God, Lord, as we uh, get into this passage today, And we join millions of people all around the world this morning, probably reading this passage or one of the others from the other Gospels. May your Holy Spirit, Lord, enlighten this word to us today. Let us not only receive the historical aspect of it, but let it become personal for us. We welcome your Holy Spirit to to change our lives because of the word of God today. Lord, be glorified as we preach Anoint me, Lord, to share the things you put on my heart and let everyone receive what we need to receive. Let us be edified in the process. We thank you, Lord, for this freedom we have to preach and to hear your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.
So Christians all over the world are remembering this day as the beginning of Holy Week. The week leading up to Sunday when Jesus defeated death and triumphed over the grave. We call that Resurrection Sunday. So make sure you come back next Sunday. Today we celebrate the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus fulfilling the words that he spoke. Look over in your Bible and in Luke chapter 18 real quickly. Luke 18, verse 31, Jesus took his 12 apostles aside and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that were written in the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. And they will scourge him and kill him. And and on the third day, he will rise again. And verse 34 says, But none of them understood anything that he was saying. So we call this day Palm Sunday, the grand entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, coming to do what he had to do, to die for the sins of the world and to offer redemption to anyone that would believe in him. Interestingly, no one really understood what was going on with this whole thing. Nothing was planned by anyone. No one ever thought, let's have a parade for Jesus on this day. They were oblivious to what he was doing. Although, and this is a very big although, those who understand prophecy remember Daniel 9.25 that talked about when Messiah would come, when he would proclaim his public messiahship. And if you know the story, From when Israel was captive in Babylon, there were prophecies given to Daniel regarding the Messiah's coming and his second coming. But the first coming would would happen at a certain length of time after King Artaxerxes proclaims the rebuilding of Jerusalem would be all right. And so the number of years, 483 years went by and experts say that this is the precise moment when that prophecy was fulfilled. And so the time clock is now running and running and running. Speaking of fulfillment of prophecies, there's a few prophecies that are fulfilled in this passage. I'm just going to mention two others. But when it talks about the donkey, you know, that, that's a prophetic word from Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. It says there that, it says, Rejoice, O daughters of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. He is just and having salvation, lowly and sitting on a donkey. So when Jesus gave that command, and you notice how smoothly that went? That always kind of puzzled me a little bit. That, that the direction to go get the donkey from someone, you know, that they didn't own the donkey. Someone else owned it, but it went so smoothly. That was because a prophecy had to be fulfilled. And so Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. And then we, we hear about the, uh, in verse number uh, 28, the other gospels talk about Hosanna, Hosanna. But that's also from Psalm 118, verse 26, where it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, meaning Lord save us. So this passage has a lot of prophetic uh, influence and uh, has a lot of meaning to us. Anyway, I've entitled it The Procession of the, of the Palms. And we're going to go section by section through this. But I want to talk about the palm branches for just a moment. If you notice in Luke's gospel that we just read, it doesn't mention the palm branches. But when you look at the other gospels, it does. For instance, in Matthew 21, 8, it says that they spread their clothes on the ground and cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. 
Mark 11, 8 says that they spread their clothes and had leafy branches and spread them on the road. And John 12, 13 specifically says they took branches off of palm trees and went out to meet him. And palm branches have always had a special significance uh, for Israel. Uh, they, they refer to Israel's victory, uh, Israel, uh, Israel's celebration, and the fact that Israel were, were conquerors through their Lord. I found a couple of scriptures. I like to share this every year because to me it's very meaningful. But in Psalm 92, in verse 12, we read this, that the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. And in 1 John 2, 1, we read that Jesus Christ is the righteous one. And so they're waving the branches as though they're saying the righteous one is, is going by here today. We give him honor. We give him praise. And we have the victory and we celebrate this Messiah coming. In Song of Solomon, we read uh, the husband saying to the wife, your stature is like a palm tree. Someone dignified and proper and stately. Reminds me when Jesus came to the river that day and John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Stately, proper, on a mission. In Revelation 7, verses 9 through 11, uh, we read this passage where all the saints sitting around the throne of God from all the nations, tribes, people, and tongues, wearing white robes and holding in their hands palm branches, singing unto the Lord, salvation belongs to our God and to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb of God. And they're praising the Lord, waving the palm branches. I think that's pretty awesome. So the procession of the palms, um, I think this is an important day to remember, important day to try to glean something out of the word to apply to our lives uh, this morning. So let's go. We're not going to go verse by verse per se, but we're just going to look at it section by section and then we'll make some application from it. So in 1928 and 29, there's an interesting phrase that said when Jesus had said this. Well, we don't have time to go back to look at what he said. But what he did say was he was teaching on a parable. The parable was entitled the parable of the ten minus. Minus is, a, is money, about three months wage worth of money. And he it's a story about a nobleman who was going away to another place to, to acquire his kingdom. And then he was going to come back. And so he gave his people money to invest while he was away. And when he came back, he was going to find out what they did with the money. And this is a perfect setup for what happened during Holy Week. Because when Holy Week began, the, the, the wheels were in motion to begin the process of our Lord going away to another place. But with the promise of coming back again. So he went away, this nobleman went away. I'm just going to tell you the parable real quick. He gave different money amounts to these 10 different people, but there were three in particular. When he came back sometime later, he wanted to find out what they did. And one said, well, I invested, I made 10 more, or I made more. And Jesus gave, or the, the nobleman gave him 10 more. Another one came and said, well, I, I did invest. I didn't make that much, but I made some. And the Lord gave him five more. But another one didn't do anything with the investment. And the nobleman said, you wicked person, now you're an enemy of mine. So when, he, when we read after he said this, it has some significance that after he was teaching on this situation that was about to happen, it began to happen in real time. So when he said this, 
He then went to Jerusalem, going through Bethpage there in Bethany, and he, and he sent his two disciples. And then we have the whole little story about how the disciples went to get the donkey. And, uh, and uh, they found the donkey, just like he said, and it was owned by somebody else. And um, they, uh, they got the donkey, brought it back to the Lord. And um, Jesus, you know, Jesus took that donkey. They put him on the donkey, put his, their clothes on the donkey, and he was riding in to, uh, to Jerusalem. And then, uh, let's see, verse 36 and verse 38, uh, we see that as he was riding in, the people spread their clothes on the ground. The other gospels say they spread the palm branches and so forth. And the procession began to kind of take off. And little by little, more people were coming out and recognizing this is Jesus coming in. And I'm sure they were thinking that he's getting ready to become the next ruler of Israel. He's going to overthrow the Roman government. We're going to get our freedom from that Roman authority and and become an independent nation. They didn't really understand exactly what he was doing. So let's see, verse 36, 38, um, verse 39 and 40, uh, they the Pharisees uh, chirp in and see what's going on. They tell Jesus to tell everyone to be quiet. And Jesus says, no, if I do that, the rocks will cry out. And in that setting, we understand the the prophecy that at this point, because up until now, Jesus would always tell people, don't tell anybody what I'm doing yet. My time has not yet come. But now he's saying, if they don't praise me now and recognize me now, the rocks will cry out. He's proclaiming that his time has come. And it goes on, let's see, uh, verse uh, 39 and 40, then 41 to 44, uh, Jesus comes in and he begins to weep over the city. Very important scripture. Because Israel has missed their Messiah. Verses 30, uh, 43 and 44 refer to when Jerusalem fell in A.D. 70, literally fell and collapsed. But uh, Jesus was referring to Israel as you missed your day of visitation. And then verse 45 and 46, Jesus came in and the first thing he did was that he began to cleanse the temple throughout the money changers and cleanse the temple. The money changers were there because um, the Jewish people needed to buy turtle doves or animal sacrifices and they have to exchange their money with the currency of Roman currency and the Jewish currency and they had to do it but they were charging great interest and it was a big problem and Jesus said you made my the house of prayer into a den of robbers so he cleaned the house so that's that's the story in a nutshell but uh, I want to I want to just break it down into four different areas that I think we can apply to our lives and our situation today and um, so if we look at it, I want to I want to just um, allow the Holy Spirit to, to get our attention right here. But I always think that like when I'm reading the Bible or teaching something, what I know the history, but how does it relate to me? What can I get out of this right now? So there's four things I wanted to share really quickly with you. And the first one is the idea of obedience. Obedience is a must Obedience to the Lord is a must. I think with these disciples that heard Jesus say something that in my mind, I'm thinking this is a little bit, little bit surprising. Go get a donkey. 
without any background information to it or I didn't understand why, just go get a donkey. But they, they didn't hesitate. They didn't hedge him or, or, or fight against him. They just went and did it. But it tells me that obedience to the Lord is really the most important thing that we can do. It's a critical issue in following Christ. In 1 John 5, 2 and 3, we read this. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And so I would ask myself the question, what are his commandments? There's so many commandments in the, in the Bible. And it brought me to Mark chapter 12 when a scribe was uh, approaching Jesus and he said to Jesus something that we would ask right here. Lord, what are, what are your greatest commandments? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said in that setting, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what I'm getting out of this story is if we're to be followers of Christ, which we endeavor to be, we've got to be obedient to the Lord in our heart, in our soul, in our mind, and in our strength. That means our walk with God encompasses every aspect of our lives. And maybe some of you have been in a place where you're trying to serve God, but you have one foot in the world and one foot over here, and you're dabbling with this or with that, and you know that your life in Christ is not right. You're not even enjoying it because you feel conviction most of the time. And so the Lord is saying to us, I believe through this passage and through this experience in, in, this, in this episode, obedience is crucial, church. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you and I, we must be obedient to the things of God. So love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second one is like it, he said. Then love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not only this way, it's this way as well. It's, it's this way and it's this way. Love God and love your neighbor. So I am happy to say that the story of Palm Sunday includes these disciples that are unnamed, but were obedient and just doing what the Lord had said to do. So here also another thing to think about is Jesus is being obedient as well to the Father. Even he was obedient, the scripture says, even to the point of death. Hebrews 5.8 says that Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered, meaning he was God in the flesh, fully God and fully man, but he was, he was obeying the Father all the time. You may know this was on Sunday. On Thursday, he's in the garden praying, like with drops of blood coming out. And he's saying, Lord, Father, if, if, this, if this could be taken from me, take this cup from me. But nonetheless, let your will be done, not my will. So when we read this account of the story, I'm reminded of how important obedience is. Even riding on a donkey at this point. And I, re, I wonder what, what, what impact that one thing would make on your lives on my life, if we were obedient and loved God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, if we loved one another, how would that change things? It reminds me of a book entitled In His Steps. 
in which the author tells a story of a, ma- a newspaper man that uh, decided to walk and to live his life as though he were literally, literally walking in the steps of Jesus. Lying went out, cheating went out, manipulating people went out, being angry went out, getting even with people went out. All these things went out of his life and it changed not only his life, it changed his whole environment. I wonder how our lives would be if we could put our head on our pillow each night and say, Lord God, I've been obedient to you today. Thank you, Lord. So I want to encourage you, church, to to ponder that. It's just a little part of the story, but I think it's a big part of our lives. The Lord is looking for someone that will obey him. I think of obedience in my life. And, uh, you know, (laughs) I just thought of it now. This year, this June, will mark the 30-year anniversary when Pamela and I were obedient to the Lord and said, here I am, Lord, send us. We were obedient. We were living in Rye, New York. I was an assistant pastor, lived in in a home I grew up in. My father owned it. And I felt the Lord calling us. And I was miserable for about three months. I couldn't make up my mind what I was going to do. In fact, there was another opportunity to pastor a church in New Jersey, which was a lot closer to my home. And finally, I think I told you this, finally, when I made the decision to go to New Jersey, the man in charge said, Rick, you waited too long. The opportunity passed. I said, oh, no. Three months later, another opportunity came and I had to make another decision. I felt the Lord say, will you be obedient? Did I ever tell you this story? You know what? I told my I told this to somebody, but what happened was I made a decision not to leave my home and to stay there. And so you know what I did? This is what I did. I got into the church van, nice big van, nice radio in there, uh, you know, uh, speaker system. I went to my favorite deli, got my favorite eggplant parm and a ginger ale and, and went down to the little marina in town and was watching the boats go by eating my eggplant parmesan. And I felt the Lord say to me, is this why you're staying here? (laughs) I'm telling you, it's the truth. True story. I put my sandwich down. I said, I started to cry a little. I said, Lord, no. Well, yes, but no. (laughs) I told my pastor, I said, no, I'm going to stay here. The Lord said, go back and tell your pastor, you got to go. Can I tell you, this was a hard decision. This was 30 years ago. I'm still thinking about it, you know, (laughs) leaving my home, leaving my family, leaving everybody, taking the kids out of school, moved to Webster, Massachusetts. Anyone ever been, you know, Webster, Massachusetts, Faith Assembly of God. It was a whole new thing. But what I'm saying, I don't mean to get off on that. What I'm saying, when we're obedient to God, it has the potential of changing your destiny. Do you get that? If you're really sincere about it, it could change your destiny, where you live, what you do, how you think, who you're friends with, who you're letting go, what you do with your faith. It'll change everything if you're willing to submit to it. So I want to encourage you, first of all, what, how did I say this? Obedience is a must. Obedience is a must if you want to fulfill the call of God in your life. I better get going or else we're going to be here too late. Secondly, the procession of the palms reminds us that Praise is required. I don't know about you. I can remember the first time I went to a born-again Pentecostal church. I thought, man, oh, man, what's up with these people? I mean, my history is, you know, you're kind of reverent and just kind of, 
chill out and 40 minutes later you're, you're back home again. I was watching these people singing with gusto and opening the hymn book and the preacher preaching. And I said, whoa, wow. But you know, it bore witness with me. I didn't realize then, but I I learned that praise is inherent in us. We're going to praise somebody or something. But now that we're born again, praise is required from us. It really is. I love what, what, how this transacts here, verses 35 to 40, uh, where, where the, the procession just kind of came up kind of spontaneously. And uh, they're, they're putting out their clothes and their, and their, and their palm branches and so forth. And, and they just begin to worship God and worship Jesus and praise him. And, and everyone's, uh, you know, everyone's excited and, and all that. And, and it goes down to verse number 40, uh, verse 39 and 40. There's always somebody in the crowd that's going to say, shh, stop that. I, re- I remember when I was the first, uh, first couple of years as a Christian, people would say to me, why are you doing that? Why does your church do that? I didn't know what to say. Oh, wait, that's what we do, you know. Now we do that because God demands it from us. He's waiting for somebody to say, hallelujah, I love you, Jesus. I lift my voice in praise to you. And, and the thing is, it, it's not just something that somebody wants, wanted to do one day. For instance, we read in uh, Psalm 92, verse 1, it says this. It is, it is good to praise the Lord and to make music to your name, O Most High. Wow, it's a good thing to give praise unto the Lord. And the the Pharisees are over there saying, listen, people in the world will tell us to be quiet. And from that, we have to get even louder because people are always going to tell us to be quiet. And the Lord doesn't really want us to be. And I'm not saying we have to be you know, flamboyant all the time because there's times to be still before the Lord, too. But he does require our praise I just wrote, wrote a couple of things down. If you want these references, give me a call or a text later. But Psalm 138, verse 5, it says, we praise him because he's full of glory. 145, 3 says, we praise him because he's great. Psalm 107, verse 8 says, we praise him because he's good. Psalm 89, 1 says, we praise him because he's merciful and faithful. Psalm 18, 46 says, we praise him because he saves us. Psalm 103, verses 1, 2, and 3 says, he, we praise him because he pardons us, pardons the sin from us. 148, 1 through 10 says, we praise him because we're commanded to praise him. 1 Kings 8, 56 says, we praise him because he keeps his provision over us. Daniel 2, 20 says, we praise him because he is wise and powerful. And so we don't praise him only when we feel like it. Hello. We praise him because he demands praise from us. I mean, we try to set the table here every Sunday. We have a worship team. We have people ready to go. We have the words on the overhead and so forth. And, but, but you have to come in here knowing we're going to praise God. I mean, my attitude is, you know, uh, watching football games or baseball season is upon us. When the umpire says, play ball, they throw out the pitch. Hey, when we 10 o'clock, it's time to worship God. It's time to play ball with the Lord. It's time to praise him and honor him and bless him. (laughs) Not to mention he is worthy and we are designed to give him praise. I don't know about you if you feel like this, but I felt like this my whole Christian life. 
And again, this is going back 40 some years of my Christian life, but I always felt like when I praised God, it was a natural thing that happened in my heart, in my mind, in my soul. It felt right to do this. Did I like music before? Yeah, I love music, but who doesn't? Most people love music. But now the music with a purpose had a tremendously more deeper meaning for me. So he is worthy to give it, and we're designed to lift up his name. I encourage you, church. Let's be a praising church. We are. Let's continue to. And thank you for the procession, by the way. That was pretty cool to watch from up here. And Kelly, is Kelly downstairs with the kids? She probably is. But Kelly was leading the pack with the palm branch headband on. That was great. Okay, number three. The procession of the palms reminds us that, in verse 41, evangelism is birthed in tears. When Jesus was riding in, and, uh, you know, you have to get this. I, I didn't really talk about it much, but you have to get the, the situation of what's going on. Jesus is lowly, humbly sitting on this donkey. And, but in that culture, in the Jewish culture, the donkey was actually symbolic of royalty. The kings in the Old Testament would sit on a donkey like we would think of a big white horse. No, they sat on donkeys. So there was some royalty involved with him sitting on the donkey. But he's sitting on a donkey, not with pride and ego waving at everybody. He's sitting there lowly and feeling like looking dejected. And they're all praising him. All the people are praising him. And, and the, 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 uh, the pathos of the situation is all this excitement, all this joy and frivolity and waving the palm branches. And Jesus is on a donkey looking kind of sad and just kind of going through with it. And then he finally gets to the place after telling the Pharisees they have to do this, so be quiet. And he gets finally to the city and then he begins to cry over the city. There's such a dichotomy of emotions in this story that Jesus is, instead of receiving all the adulation, he's weeping over the city because they missed their visitation. So we talk about evangelism. We do things. We, know we, we did the Hillstock e event for, what, 11, 10 years, 11 years, I forget. And we had great success with that as far as numbers of people coming and people getting saved and all this stuff going on. But you know what? If our evangelistic efforts aren't birthed in tears for people, but let, let, let me forget about the community for just a moment. It's got to begin with a burden for our, our family. Isn't that, the, isn't that our first mission field? Our spouses, our parents, our brothers and sisters, our kids, our grandkids, if we have them. That's our first mission field. And people say, what can we do? What, what can we do? Uh, my grandchild, this or that. And I, I say the same answer all the time. You can pray. And you better pray. And I better pray. But evangelism has to be birthed in tears, meaning we have to be concerned about someone's eternal destiny. Concerned enough to bring those people before the throne of God, even when we don't feel like it. Even when we feel like, Lord, I said this a million times already. It might take a million and one. But the Lord is looking at us. The Lord is looking for a person that's faithful to the end, willing to go with the Lord in this. So verse 41, just the contrast, it, it's amazing to me. He drew near the city and he wept over the city. It, it just tells me that unless we have a heart for people, and that, that opens up a whole nother door, if you ask me. What kind of people? 
Well, they have to be a certain type of person. They have to be a certain age group or a certain uh, economic status. You know what? That's a lot of baloney. We have to have a heart for people. And as the Lord begins to send people our way, and he is, thank the Lord for that, we need to love on people, pray for people, have a tear in our eye when we realize someone gave their heart to God and rejoice with that person. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, you know it, the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, into all the world. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. From this story of Palm Sunday, I'm learning that evangelism will never be successful unless the saints of God have a tear in their eye and a real burden for lost souls in our community and in our families. Well, someone will say, what can we do? Let's do another hillsock. Yeah, we could do something like that. We could do something out here in the parking lot, which we're really praying about now. But we must be praying. Can I get a few people to say that you'll be praying about this? Because if, if we're not evangelistic as a church, we're becoming a little social club inward, and it's going to die. We've got to be outreach oriented. That's one of our mission statements. At New Life Grow, right? G-R-O-W. Grounded in the word. Outreach oriented. Build relationship. Worship with passion. That's still part of our fundamental purpose of being here. We are outreach oriented. <clears throat> so if you could pray about that. And then I, the next thing would be, if you pray about, just like with Hillstock, if you pray about that, are you willing to work that day? Are you willing to cook some hot dogs or go to the store and buy some mustard and soda or whatever we need? Or are you willing to clean up the parking lot afterward? Are you willing to go into the neighborhoods and invite people? In other words, we can pray and pray and pray, but sooner or later, it's going to come down to actually doing something. So I would say, listen, we have to have a tear in our eye. We have to be concerned about people. And now some of you know how difficult it is to pull out of this parking lot after church on a Sunday. I live right here. I deal with it every day. But what I'm saying is thousands of people drive by this church all the time. And most, who knows what they're doing. Although sometimes when I'm changing the sign, someone beeps the horn and says, praise the Lord, which I really enjoy. But for the most part, people just drive by. They're not even thinking about it. But I'm just saying there's a lot of people around here that need Jesus. I would say this, this Palm Sunday reminds me that evangelism is important. Even, even to Jesus, who's getting ready now, think of it, on a Sunday, getting ready for that Friday, for dying on the cross, he's burdened for the people of Jerusalem and Israel. He's weeping over them, knowing what he has to do. And the last thing is this, that holiness is a priority. And I'm grateful that this little addendum to the story is in Luke's gospel. But after Jesus, you know, rides in on the donkey, gets all this adulation and praise and people are singing scriptures to him and he's hearing it and he's okay, but he's lowly and sitting on the donkey riding in. The Pharisees tell him to tell everyone to be quiet. He says, no, if they don't, the rocks will cry out. And then he begins to weep over the city. And then the first thing he does, he goes into the temple, verse 45 and 46. He goes into the temple and, and he begins to clean house. And can I say that our churches of today, 2023, I think that sometimes the Holy Spirit needs to come in and clean house. 
Because church has become, for many, not, uh, not here, I pray, but for many, it becomes something other than a proclamation of the word of God, a proclamation of Jesus uh, coming and dying and rising and ascending and coming back again. Church becomes something different than that. It becomes a political thing. It becomes a social thing. It becomes a means to make money or something. But the real church proclaims Christ and the real church proclaims holiness. And that's not a popular subject in our culture nowadays. But being holy is required by the Lord too. So he comes into, the, into Jerusalem. He goes right to the temple. He cleans house. This is the second time that he did that. And they were there for the wrong purpose. They made the house of prayer into a den of thieves. But Hebrews 12, 14 says this. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You ever wonder why you can't see the Lord or feel the Lord or sense God? Maybe it's because there's not peace with, with us and people and we're not pursuing holiness. What do I mean by that? Holiness is a tough thing because we're all raised to enjoy life, enjoy our freedom in this world, enjoy the freedom of, of morality in this country. And so many things are available to us. I mean, we could just turn on TV and find immoral things. Listen to the radio or the Internet or whatever. The Internet is as great as, as it is, is also a great distraction. And many Christian people suffer by being unholy. And they get trapped with pornography or online dating or whatever. And they're getting off the mark. They may be coming to church, but they're off the mark in their private life. But holiness is required from the Lord. It's a priority. Hebrews 12, pursue peace with all people and pursue holiness without which you won't even see God. You might sing all the right songs. You might read all the right scriptures, but you'll never really experience God in the depth of your soul because you're not holy or pursuing holiness. When Peter 1 tells us the same thing, Peter writes, be holy, the Lord says, be holy for I am holy. In all of your conduct, not conforming to your former lust, but as obedient children of the Lord, be holy unto the Lord. So holiness is purity. If we want to see God, we have to be on the road to holiness and purity and sense God and feel God and hear God directing our thoughts and, 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 and the direction for our lives. So in conclusion, I just want to summarize the possession of the palms. As great of an experience it was in that day for those people, the deeper meaning is obedience is required from God. You know, praise is necessary. Uh, evangelism must be birthed in tears and holiness is a requirement to really see God and to run with God. Let's stand together. Can we stand up? We're going to close by reading John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Where this is a story of the uh, Palm Sunday. But uh, from John's point of view, John 12, you have it on the screen up there? Read it with me if you can. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Let's read it one more time. The next day, 
a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Amen. Amen. Every head bowed for just a moment. Hallelujah. It's been a good day in the Lord's house. We've had the procession. We've had communion. We had worship. We had prayer. We had a time in the word. But now it's time for all of us to take this word and go out those doors and enter the mission field. I'll guarantee you there's somebody in your life that needs to know what you just heard about today. What Palm Sunday is all about. What's the big deal about Palm Sunday? What's the big deal about Easter Sunday? I thought it was the bunny rabbit and and getting candy and so forth. No, there's a whole other aspect to it. But I wonder, before we say the final prayer today, I want to just clarify, if there's anybody here today that feels like you have, maybe you've heard this gospel, but you've never surrendered to it. You never yielded to it. You're around the cross, and Jesus wants you on the cross. Your obedience is so-so. Your praise is when you feel like it. Your evangelism doesn't exist. And holiness, well, that's something that you think about every now and then. But today, I feel like this is the beginning of Holy Week. Maybe the Lord is speaking to us to say, today's the day to make it right. And I'll just throw in a little PS right here. There is so much calamity in the world. There is so much confusion in the world. There is violence, threats of war. And there's so much uh, weather dysfunction all over, not only our country, all over the world. We would be, we would be naive to think that God's not trying to get our attention before he returns. I'm just saying, when you watch the news, watch it with, from the point of view is, what is God saying through this? I can't, every time I watch the news, I'm, I'm amazed that people aren't shouting from the rooftops, Jesus is coming. Just look at what's going on. Jesus is coming. So today may be a good day for somebody to really make it right with the Lord. So every head bowed. I'm going to lead out in prayer. And after I pray, if anyone uh, receives Christ during this prayer, please see me right here on the floor before you go home today. Dear Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this service today. Thank you, Lord, for the celebration of the palms And what they symbolically mean as far as victory and and conquering and celebration, Lord, we get that. We understand that. And Lord, we are looking forward to the day when we'll stand with believers from all the nations of the world wearing white robes, waving palm branches, singing, singing, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so, but Lord, until then, we pray for strength. We pray for empowerment by your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that we would take these elements of this sermon, obedience, praise, and evangelism, and holiness, and begin to put things in place in our lives where we would be ready should you return. So, Lord, as I lead out in prayer, we pray this prayer to you this morning. Lord God, we believe in you. 
We believe in you, Jesus Christ, that you came to give your life away. We believe that you came to sacrifice your life to give us an opportunity to be right with Almighty God. We receive you today. We accept you as our personal Lord and Savior and the master of our lives. We believe that you died and resurrected and ascended, and we believe that you're coming back again. And so, Lord, in the meantime, we pray that you would strengthen us, encourage us, let us sense your Holy Spirit, let us do the things that are necessary to be close to you. Lord, we don't want to miss the trumpet call that announces your return and the rapture of the church. So, Lord, may your blessing be upon us. May this week in particular, Lord, may we be filled with your spirit. Be quick to give a defense of our faith to tell somebody this story that we just heard today. So thank you, Lord. May your blessing be upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen Amen and amen. Well. You are dismissed. There's some fellowship over there in the cafe. If anyone said that prayer and wants to receive the Lord, please see me before you go home today. And Lord willing, we'll see you on the live stream prayer at six o'clock tonight. God bless you.